Amen. And I cherish those moments of just peace and rest and quiet before the Lord. But we are almost there. We are almost to Christmas, and that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Apparently not. Wow. I mean, look, it's, it's Christmas. I actually got dressed up for Christmas. And so if you like that, I humbly thank you. If you don't like it, my wife picked it out. You talk to her about that. But we're almost here, and the waiting, right, is almost over. And Christmas has always been, and probably always will be, an awful lot about waiting, right? I mean, I guess, you know, it's a, it, one of the things that defines whether you're old or young, right? If you're young, Christmas can't get here soon enough. If you're old, oh my gosh, we're almost there, right? But do you remember when you were young? Do you remember when you were small? And you, it just felt like it took forever for Christmas to get there. And you waited and you waited and waited for school to get out, and it finally did. And then you waited and waited and waited for the gifts to show up under the tree, and then they finally did. And then you waited and you waited and tried to get to sleep on Christmas Eve night, and you couldn't, finally you fell asleep. And then you woke up and Christmas was here, and it was time to go, and you go out and the tree is lit, and the gifts are wrapped, and the stockings are hung, and they're overflowing. And I didn't understand then how important it was for a parent to have a cup of coffee and a Christmas breakfast, but you had to wait through all of that as well. Waited and you waited and you and I don't know about you, but I don't wait very well. I'm not a good waiter. Today we're looking at a guy named Simeon in the New Testament, and he knew how to wait. He figured out the mystery, not just of how to wait, but how to wait well. Let's pick up the narrative in Luke chapter two, starting in verse twenty five. It says this. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous, and he was devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And I want to just kind of halt the narrative there for just a second, because there's a lot of stuff going on behind those particular words right there. And the first is this, that God had made to Simeon a promise. As Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel, for the coming of the promised Messiah, the Savior, Simeon had received from God this promise that although your country has been waiting for this for a long, long time, you will live to see the day when this promise is fulfilled. So God had made a promise. And in Simeon's case, this promise had not yet been fulfilled. And so for him, There was nothing to do, right, but wait. And because of that, Simeon was forced to live in this tension between a promise that God had made on the one hand, but the fulfillment of which had not materialized on the other. And he was not alone in that tension. He was not the only one. In fact, the tension between the fact that God has promised something and the fact that it hasn't happened yet was knit very deeply into the fabric of Israel's identity in the Old Testament, right? I mean, the nation of Israel comes into being when God calls a guy named Abraham and says, look, I'm not just going to give you a son, but I'm going to give you so many descendants that you can't possibly number them all. And I'm going to give you a land that's your very own that I have promised, or prepared for you and I've promised you. And that's how the, the nation of Israel was begun. 
And that's when the waiting began as well. Because Abraham walked through much of his life without seeing the fulfillment of most of those promises. It wasn't until he was a very old man that he had a single child, right, that was his son. And the bit about actually occupying as a nation that promised land was nothing that he got to see even in his own lifetime. And then his descendants over time and through a number of circumstances ended up moving down to Egypt to avoid a famine. Only when they got there, they got through the famine, but over time they became the slaves of the pharaohs. And for 450 years, these people who were defined by promises that God had made to their ancestors, these people lived as slaves for 450 years. That's a long time. If we can't access the promise of health care on a website in 45 minutes, the world is coming to an end. 450 years, generation after generation of slave children were told about the land that God had promised and about the deliverance and the freedom that he had promised them. And generation after generation of slave children grew up and grew old and went to their graves without personally experiencing anything like that. But nevertheless, they hung on to those promises. And they believed on in those promises. They continued to be defined by those promises and to pass them from one generation to the next, trusting God to sustain them as they lived in the tension between a promise and its fulfillment. And eventually God did send Moses. And eventually God's people were set free. And Joshua or uh, Moses led them to the promised land. Joshua led them in. And they took possession of the land that had been promised to them. And there was a series of judges and prophets. And eventually they, they got a king, King Saul. And then there was David and Solomon. And the kingdom was rocking. And they were living in the middle of the fulfillment of God's promises. And it was incredibly short-lived. Because right on the heels of that came uh, division came civil war to a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and then the northern kingdom was captured and taken off to Assyria. Then the southern kingdom was was overthrown and overtaken, and they were taken off back to Babylon, and they lived in exile for another couple of generations. Again, the promise of the Savior, the promise that the prophet has spoken of a Messiah, the Savior to come, they continue to be spoken, but the promise was one thing and their experience was another. And then maybe the most troubling thing of all, after the final prophecies in the Old Testament had been written, after the final words from God in the Old Testament had been spoken, there were no more prophecies. There were no more promises. There wasn't anything for a period of 400 years. For another 400 years, God's voice was effectively silent in Israel. They didn't hear a word. And by the time Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, the people were left clinging to centuries-old promises from God that looked for all the world like they would never be fulfilled. And yet they continue, yes, they did continue to study those promises. And yes, they did continue to remember those promises. And yes, they even even did continue the process of putting some of those promises into song and psalms that spoke of God's promise to his people. And they sang those songs, even in captivity, even in the midst of God's silence. But you've got to know, I mean, I've got to believe that there were times when the people were like, I am so sick of singing this song about God's promises. Have you ever got a really irritating song stuck in your head and you just can't get it out? 
you know that there are these songs and these psalms about the promises of God that they've been singing since they grew up. And at some point it occurred to them, I don't see it playing out. I'm sick of this song. I'm so tired of singing about the promise. How long do I have to sing this song? This song of waiting and unfulfilled hope. How long until I can sing a new song? A song about fulfillment, a song about celebration and victory and that God came through. That's the new song that I want to sing. Can you, can you relate to that? I think most of us can. Kind of like the people at Israel waiting for the coming of the Messiah or like Simeon waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise to him. That most of us carry within our hearts some of the promises that we feel that God has made to us. Maybe that's the promise of a marriage being restored. Maybe that's the promise of cancer you know, going into remission and staying there. The promise of a wayward child finding his way or her way back to where they belong. Maybe it's the promise of a family finally learning how to love you for who you are and not just who they wish that you were. Maybe it's the promise of an acceptance letter into college or, or a job after college or finding that someone to, to share the rest of your life with. But we have this sense that God's made promises to our hearts and we carry them in our hearts, but so often we're forced to wait and to live in the tension of these unfinished unfulfilled promises. And the question is, can we wait well? Because it's how we wait that makes all the difference in the world. It's how we wait that makes the difference. It's hard to do to wait well. It's hard work. And the greater the pressure and the more that's on the line, the more difficult it is to wait. In fact, under trying circumstances, it's almost impossible to wait well. I grew up down in Southern California, and so I was then and I continue now to be a fan of the Los Angeles Lakers. It was easier then than it is now, but I continue to be a fan. And I, I recall one time uh, coming back from, uh, for Christmas break uh, from college and being there saying, I got, I got to take in a Laker game while I'm here. So a buddy and I, we drove up to go see the Lakers play in person. Now, back in the day, they weren't playing in the Staples Center, which is really nice. They played in an arena that they referred to as the Fabulous Forum. And boy, was that a piece of marketing. Because it was a garbagey old building set in a little town of Inglewood, which was a bad neighborhood. It would, the only reason anyone would, would uh, intentionally go into that neighborhood would be to watch a basketball game. But it was dangerous. You're kind of taking your life into your hands just to go into the parking lot. It was that kind uh, of a location. But my buddy and I, we went up there that night. We watched the game. The Lakers won. We were all excited up until the point that we realized that about 15,000 people at the end of the game had one goal in mind, to get out of that neighborhood as quickly as they can all at the same time. And so there's this rush to the parking lot, right? And then after that, it starts looking like the chariot scene from Ben-Hur, just people going all over, making their way out. It was crazy. And eventually, there's just nowhere to go, and it all clogs down, right? So everyone's all amped out to leave because they don't feel safe. And everyone's feeling selfish like they want to go. And there's nowhere to go. And so there's honking and there's yelling and there's fist waving. And it's getting crazy. And like, you know, I was raised with like, you know, everyone gets their turn. Every other one going to find their way in. But you didn't dare let the guy in in front of you because the guy behind you was going to get out and slash your tires for slowing things up. So we're stuck there and it's taken forever. And I'm waiting. And I'm not waiting very well, right? Not at all. And then I look over here, and there's a couple of guys wearing opposing gang colors coming together, and I'm thinking, this is great. There's a knife fight that's going to break out right outside my window, and I am freaking out, 
right? So I figure, what am I going to do? i got to protect. I'm in the glove box looking. There's got to be a way. And you know what I find to protect myself from the inevitable knife fight that's going to take place in my car? One of those little miniature flashlights that runs on a single AAA battery. And I'm great. Here, I'll protect myself. Sure, this will be great. I may as well just get out of my car, take the chalk, put my little outline on the ground because I'm going to die. And in my waiting, I was fearful, and I was hopeless, and I was impatient. And that is like the holy trinity of bad waiting. That is not the way to wait. And that 45 minutes that I spent trying to get out of that parking lot was the longest of my life. It was terrible, because the way I was waiting under trying circumstances was horrible. How we wait makes all the difference in the world, and how I waited then made a terrible difference. So what if, instead of looking at that experience, we looked at a good example, a guy like Simeon who had figured it out. And let's discover what it is that he can teach us about waiting well. So Simeon had received this promise. He would see the Messiah in his lifetime, and the narrative continues. Moved by the Spirit, it says, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. You see, since the day that he had received that promise, Simeon had been waiting for its fulfillment. And here it was in the form of a child, an infant, eight days old. An infant that somehow, and the passage doesn't tell us exactly how, but somehow Simeon recognizes him as unique, as holy, as perfect. And he saw Jesus, and even as a baby, and and every promise that God had ever made to him was fulfilled in that moment, the moment of encountering Jesus. The story here in the text, it doesn't tell us exactly how long Simeon had to wait. But he waited well. And when the time of waiting was complete, it was time for him to sing a new song, a song of rejoicing, a song of fulfillment and triumph and victory. What are the lessons that Simeon teaches teaches us so that we can wait well and be able to sing a similar new song as well? Well, the first thing I observe is this. Simeon, while he waited, he waited actively. Simeon waited actively, continuing to serve in the temple. It's interesting to me that uh, it's, it's no mere coincidence. It's not just anybody got to walk into the temple and take care of all the customary duties that were necessary. When you brought in your eight-day-old son to be circumcised there at the temple, they didn't, they didn't just let anybody do that. You had to be uh, part of the crew. And, and the fact that Simeon was able to be there and, and that baby Jesus was brought to him for, uh, for that ceremony and for that ritual, the fact means that he was there, a part of the team doing that. Simeon didn't spend his life just doing stuff. He spent his life serving in the temple, saying, while I wait for God to fulfill this promise, I'm going to serve in his home as well. He continued to serve. And it could have been for a long time. And you know how it is. Waiting around for an unfulfilled hope is exhausting. It sucks the life out of you. It draws out the resources mentally and emotionally and physically. And, and an extended period of waiting on a promise from God, it can, it can leave you feeling kind of 
like a wrung out sponge, like I've got nothing left. I've got nothing left to offer. I, I, I couldn't possibly serve. I've got nothing to give. But Simeon had learned an important lesson from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote this, that God energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out, and young folk in their prime stumble and they fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. And they spread their wings and they soar like eagles, and they run and they don't get tired. And they walk and they don't lag behind. Do you know what Simeon learned while he waited? That actively waiting on God, that actively participating and serving, it doesn't sap you of strength and resources. It invigorates, it empowers, it strengthens, it refreshes, and it renews. Simeon found that the very act of going and serving others and being in the house of the Lord and being a part of that was something that gave him life and strength, just as Isaiah had promised. So you are probably waiting on some sense of unfulfilled promise of the Lord in your own life. Let me ask you, have you allowed some of the fatigue and the weariness to convince you that you have nothing to offer? I want to tell you that you're wrong. Do you feel worn down and in need of some strength? I want to offer you some insight on one place to go to receive that. And that's a place of serving the Lord actively. That could be here at Life Center North, Coffee Bar, Usher, Greeter, Traffic, Kids Ministry, anywhere. It could be in your neighborhood. It can be out in the community. But you'll never be stronger and more uh, refreshed and renewed and more strengthened when you're out there serving and representing God to others. Isaiah knew it, and Simeon lived it. Simeon, secondly, waited faithfully, never losing sight of the promise. All right, he waited actively. He didn't just sit around, but he waited faithfully. He never lost sight of the promise. He went through his days and his weeks, his months, and his years of service with his eyes open, always asking, is this the one? Can you imagine over the years how many new parents brought their new son to the temple and, and handed him in the arms of Simeon, and how Simeon, with great expectation, took the child and said, is, is this the one? No. But with every child that came, the question was asked, because the promise was always at the front of his mind and at the front of his sight. The promise was never far from his mind. And you've got to know, over the course of like those 400 years of God's silence leading up to Christ's arrival, you know there were a lot of people who felt like they had promises from God. I'm sure there were a lot of crackpots and whack jobs out there saying, well, God's promised me that I'll see the Messiah. And it never came about. I mean, some people out there saying, I am the Messiah. And they were whack jobs and crackpots as well, right? And in light of all that, I mean, it would be really easy for Simeon with a sense that God has told me that I will see the Messiah before I die. But seeing some of the other people out there to kind of step back and not make a big deal of it, and just kind of hold that promise off to the side. But he didn't. He kept it front and center. And we know that because when the fulfillment came, he recognized the fulfillment of that prophecy immediately. We're not exactly sure what it was that he saw in Jesus when he held him in his arms that announced that, uh, that the promise was fulfilled. Man, I don't think he was wearing one of the name tags that said, Hello, my name is Messiah. But somehow... The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that this was the promised one and that the promise to Simeon was fulfilled. 
One of the reasons we can assume that he recognized Jesus was because he was constantly, faithfully, and ongoingly looking for him. Another thing is this. I think that, that, that uh, Simeon's faithfulness is uh, it's pointed to by just by the volume of his joy. When you set a promise over off to the side or on the back burner, and then the fulfillment comes about, it's nice, but it's not a big deal. But when you keep that promise from God right in front of you and it's part of your day-in, day-out existence and you're waiting on God and counting on him week by week, month by month, year by year for it, when it comes about, there's a celebration that takes place. And, and Simeon bursts into this song of celebration that's a new song because that promise had been so front and center. What is that thing? He says, Simeon says, I can die now in peace. God's fulfilled his promise. I've seen the Messiah. I, I've got what I came for out of this life. What's that thing for you, that promise that you're waiting on? You say, man, when God fulfills that, I can just say it's all good. What is that thing? And then the question is, what are you doing with it? Is that thing a God thing or is it a you thing? That's the first question. But how are you waiting? Have you set that promise off to the side for fear of the disappointment? I want to encourage you. Simeon faithfully lived with it right in front of him and kept his eyes open waiting for the fulfillment. Third item is this. Simeon waited joyfully. Simeon, while he waited, waited joyfully, preparing a new song in his heart. Right? Because when the moment came, when the fulfillment came and he recognized it, this new song just comes bursting out of him. And I, like we, I, I think we sometimes like to feel like, oh yeah, people who are talented or people who are musical and gifted like the, like the folks up here, they just kind of sit down one day and they, um, they sit down and, and all of a sudden like a, a song, all put together, all arranged, just kind of emerges wholesale immediately. That's not how songs come together most typically, right? There's a lot of writing and rewriting and editing and changing and rearranging and saying less of this and more of that and putting it all together. And when Simeon sees the child, when he realizes God's promise to him is fulfilled, this song is ready to go. This new song of celebration, of triumph, of satisfaction and joy, this is not a song that he composes on the spot. This is a song that he's been working in his heart in the interim period. You want a great exercise to help bring some joy while you wait on God to fulfill that promise? How about this? Start writing the song of celebration that you'll sing when the day comes. How about putting into words the the different and powerful ways that you will thank God when the fulfillment of that promise comes about? And begin singing that song now in your heart. Begin speaking those words in prayer even now before things are actually there yet. And you know what you'll find? It'll produce joy because it will connect you to the heart of God and keep you connected to that. And that's where joy is to be found. It is an exercise, by the way. It's an exercise of discipline. And it's an exercise of great faith to begin singing to God a new song of celebration when the cause for that celebration hasn't taken place yet, right? It requires faith to say, God, it hasn't happened yet, but I trust you, and so I'm going to praise you because it's going to happen. But if we can develop that discipline, if we can learn to do that, if we can come into church on a Sunday morning when maybe the Roads are icy and weather is nasty and maybe the family isn't all getting along great and the kids didn't behave well and the breakfast was not good and the day is going to be crowded and the Christmas stuff's not ready to go yet, blah, blah, blah. If we can come in and say, yep, all that's true, but I'm going to trust God to take care of it. I am going to sing a song of great worship to him today. 
what we'll find is an amazing joy that colors everything else. So Simeon, he waited actively, and he waited faithfully, and he waited joyfully. And then he waited patiently. Don't you hate that one, right? Had to bring it up. He never gave up. He waited patiently, never giving up. i got to believe that in the course of his time in the temple, in the course of his waiting on the Lord, that, uh, that Simeon ran across Psalm 40 at least once or twice. And Psalm 40 says this. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. See, the writer here has experienced the pit of destruction. He's experienced the miry clay, right? He's experienced being stuck in in that place of not having a new song to sing. But he discovered that key in his experience was what? Waiting. And not just waiting, because sometimes we don't even have a choice on the waiting. It's the how we wait that makes the difference. And the psalmist realized that that he waited patiently on the Lord, learning to trust in God's timing even more than his own. I waited patiently for the Lord. And then he inclined and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit. He made my footsteps firm by planting them on the rock. And the result of his patience and God's faithfulness in response to the patience is that many will hear this new song that's being sung. Many will see and will have great fear and respect for the Lord, and they will put their faith in him. Simeon had learned to put those principles into practice. And so he was able to wait patiently, not becoming bitter at God for taking so long, but learning to trust that God's timing was right and that when the time was right, God's Messiah was come, would come, and he did. So let me ask you this, where your waiting is concerned, where you're waiting on that particular promise, how's it going? Are you waiting well? Are you waiting patiently, or is that really hard? I'm going to ask you, will you continue to wait patiently, Will you trust the Lord? Will you make your heart ready to sing a new song? Simeon was waiting on a promise from God, and he waited actively and faithfully. He waited joyfully. He waited patiently. What about you? What's that promise that God's placed in the deepest places of your heart? Maybe it's Christmas-related. Maybe it's something specifically about this season. Maybe it has nothing at all to do with Christmas. But this morning, I want to challenge you with how's the waiting going? Are you waiting well? Is the way that you're waiting making all the difference in the world? It is one way or the other. But if we can learn these lessons from Simeon, waiting actively, faithfully, joyfully, patiently, if we can learn those lessons, it'll make all the difference in the world in the most positive way. Simeon did that. And because of that, he was in perfect position to experience the fulfillment of God's promises and to recognize it when he saw that. It's how we wait that makes all the difference in the world. Earlier, I told you about that time stuck in the parking lot leaving that event um, where I waited so poorly and how the the, uh, experience that I had was so negative and so painstaking and so fearful. I want to tell you about a different experience, a different time. 
a different set of circumstances. Um, I was in, in college at Tulsa, and a group of uh, buddies and myself decided we were going to go down to Houston uh, to see a favorite band of ours. Uh, and Houston was as close as they were coming to Tulsa. Uh, it was, they weren't as popular then as they became later, the little band out of Ireland known as U2. And uh, they were making their way across the south. And so we said, look, why don't the five of us get tickets, hop in my little Mazda GLC and drive nine hours down to Houston to see these guys? It's college. So what do you say? You say, yes, this is awesome. So we road tripped down to Houston uh, you know, hit the Hard Rock Cafe for dinner, and then went to the concert. And we had a ball. It was an incredible, incredible show. And they ended that show. You know, they, they go through their uh, big end of the set, and it's crazy and wonderful and terrific. And then they, they go off stage, and they come back for their encore, right? And, uh, and they closed out their encore then, like they did through a lot of their shows in that stage of their career, with a song called 40, the lyrics of which are taken from Psalm 40, which we read earlier. And they begin the song. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. Like, oh, this is awesome. Right? Because I grew up in church and rock and roll was like from the devil. And here I am in the devil's playground singing a scripture song. This is awesome. And, And the song built into this chorus. I will sing, sing a new song. And 15,000 people there at the summit in Houston, none of us who knew each other, began singing this song together. A bunch of strangers raising our hands and singing this, this song that has its beginnings in the pages of Scripture. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. This is like church, except it's fun and cool and exciting. <laughs> and the chorus kept going and going and going, and the, and the arena is just echoing with the song. And at the end of the song, they just kind of set their instruments down and they walked off stage. But the audience is still singing together. I will sing, sing a new song. And it carried on for a couple minutes. And then it carried on kind of past that awkward point where you wonder, do we still keep singing? And then you wonder, how long are we going to keep singing? But for about 10 minutes, 15,000 people kept singing together. And then we realized they weren't coming out anymore and they weren't going to sing anymore. So we realized it was time to go. So we all started picking up our stuff and heading out to the parking lot to go drive away, except for the singing never stopped. And we're walking out of the arena and across the courtyard to the parking garage. And, and 15,000 people continue to sing together. How long to sing this song? And we all the way into the parking garage all the way up to the third floor, into our car, through the 45 minutes it takes to circle down out of the parking garage. Now it's not just the 15,000 people singing. Now it's 15,000 people singing and their voices echoing through this concrete parking garage. And it's like a moment of heaven, stuck in a parking garage. I didn't want to leave. Part of it, there was a nine-hour road trip back, you know, to Tulsa. But I had a moment that was as close to heaven as I've had on this earth in a parking garage, singing with a bunch of strangers. Why? Because that, the same waiting that took place at the forum had been laced with the presence of God, a little bit of patience, a little sense of God's purpose, a 
a sense that this song that I have to sing right now may not be the song I have to sing later, but that there is a new song that I will sing if I can just lay hold of God's promises and hang on and wait well. The coming of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas is the reminder to us that the promise upon which we wait is fulfilled, that God's promises are true, and that his purposes will be accomplished. Will we wait well? I think that we will. Let's pray. God, it's a season where we are just incredibly grateful for the gift of your son. Our minds and our hearts and our spirits, we just we focus on him and we're so grateful. Emmanuel, God with us. God, our hearts and our minds, our very souls, are eager to have that sense of God with us in the places of those promises that sit deep in our heart. God, many of us have been waiting a long, long time. God, some of us have been stuck in the mire of wondering, will you really come through? God, I want to pray that you would equip us to wait well. God, help us to find that place to actively wait. God, find us faithful as we wait on you. God, would you fill us up with joy and fill our spirit with a new song. God, teach us patience. And God, like Simeon, would you open our eyes to the places where you are fulfilling your promises for us, even today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.